Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, this next week we're going to be launching a series uh, in 1 John. We're talking about the core truths of the Christian faith. There are some incredible themes. Uh, it is a fantastic letter that the Apostle John wrote to a group of Christians to really just encourage them to stay with the basics of the faith. And so this is a great opportunity for us to invite somebody out who's exploring the claims of Jesus, uh, would like to know what it, more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, and certainly it's going to be a great series that we'll jump in. This morning, though, we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 70. So if you want to turn almost in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 70, and uh, we're looking at this, this idea of having a heavenly perspective on our earthly journey. A heavenly perspective on our earthly journey. And this was written by a worship leader in the temple of Israel. And, uh, and, and his name was Asaph. And he was a man who had some foundational truths in his life, but he kind of lost his way a little bit. And I was thinking about our own journey, your life, my life, and the kinds of things that we face. And we get realigned on a Sunday morning. We come to worship God. We come to open his word. We pray together. Perhaps you're meeting with other Christians throughout the week. It is very easy for our lives to just sort of lose focus on the eternal things, the things that really matter. And, and that's really what happened in this, in this man's life. In fact, we'll read the first couple of verses together. It's uh, Asaph, and he writes this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. That was the description that he gave himself kind of post-experience. Uh, like, I know that God is good, and that's a foundational truth that I have in my heart. It's something I fall back on when I, when I encounter things that I actually just don't know or don't know how to process and think about, like, why would God allow this? Like, things that you and I would wrestle with as well. But then he tells his testimony, but man, I almost slipped up. My life almost derailed from, from the intention that God has for it. Uh, it, it the, the foundational truth that God is good, by the way, that is something that you should teach your kids. And like, these are the basics of of foundational truths that they need to have as an anchor for their young little souls. God is good. God is love. God is for me. These important things that we find in scripture um, because we're all going to be challenged with life circumstances. I would imagine even this in our small gathering this morning that there are many of you, dozens if not more, who are wrestling with some things where you too are asking the question, I know that God is good, but my feet are almost slipping up because I just don't understand why. Why this circumstance is happening. Why this situation is going on. That's what he was experiencing. That truth would be challenged. Even some walking with God, when they encounter something like that, where it's a, I don't understand why God is allowing this, they slip up and they get their lives into a spiritual funk. You almost, it's almost like having a, a spiritual myop, myopia, uh, myopia, sorry. Uh, that's almost like that pudding, right? With the little rice in it? Is that something different? Spiritual myopia, with this, this, where it's nearsightedness. You, lo- you lose sight of the, the long term. Like, this is what is eternal. These are the things that matter. And the only thing you can see, though, right now, when you're in that spot, is the things that are in front of you, and you just can't make sense of them. You only see the short game. I have struggles. Other people are prospering. 
uh, that idea of just being sort of nearsighted. Uh, it, it was plaguing him. And I think it happens to all of us in our journey with Jesus. It was Jesus who we, we even read in the last uh, several weeks together in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talked about these, this narrow road that we're on. But he also described a broad path that many people are on. And it's this broad path that is this, I'm living a life apart from God. And they're almost parallel lanes, if you would, in our lives. We're on this narrow path. We make hard decisions. We face difficulties in life. And sometimes the enemy can get our eyes diverted onto that broad path and say, well, hey, what about those people? Why did they have it so easy? Did you have siblings growing up and your mom would say, hey, I need you to go and like mow the lawn. Wait, hold up. What is Stuart doing? That's what I would say. Like, wh what are you asking him to do? Nothing was the answer, <laughs> at least the way he lived his life. He began to look around, and he had a momentary lapse of perspective. He lost sight of the eternal things. His eyes were taken off of God, and he said, man, that looks easy over there. You know, the enemy, by the way, only shows the highlight reel of other people. That's all you and I see. We just see the highlight reel of it. It's not the things that he's going to tell us that he saw in the wicked that, he, that tripped him up. It's not that that was all true. It's just what he was convinced was true. And the only thing that we see is the highlight reel of a life that we could be living, and it certainly trips us up. Now he says, I know that you are good, but I lost sight of it, God. Here's some of the symptoms of this spiritual myopia that we would have in life. And we'll talk about its cure. Number one, we read in verse three, if you read on with me, he says, well, why were you so uh, in, a, in a funk? Asaph, well, here he tells us in verse 3. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Not a compliment in our day. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They, they set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are wicked, uh, always at ease, and they increase in riches. All in vain. I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. We'll look at a couple things this morning. One is this. One of the symptoms of spiritual myopia is this, being envious of others. You know that you're sort of losing sight of the eternal, the things that God has called you and I to do, the things that you and I know are like, this is the long-term goal, my life honoring Jesus Christ. We know that we're getting that nearsighted state and sort of looking off of our lane that we're supposed to be on and we start to look in another direction, when we start becoming envious. And this man envied the, the worst of his community because he looked at their lives and said, but they've got it easy. Now, without a show of hands, how real is that for us? You look at other people and you go, 
How come their marriage seems that it's always working out? Why are they always in Hawaii, by the way? Uh, how come their kids seem to have no struggles in school? How come it seems like everything they do, or maybe a coworker of yours, and like, man, if I were in charge of heaven, they wouldn't even be here on a Monday morning, right? They're living their lives so far away from God. Thank God that you don't get to be God for a day, by the way, <laughs> because all of us would be in a lot of trouble. He's much more merciful than you and I are to each other. He says, my faith almost shipwrecked. Why? Because of envy. He was looking around at other people. Envy is a sneaky sin. It begins to, to uh, poison our lives in such a way that we can't see any good in our own life. Because we're not looking at what God is doing for us and on our behalf. We're looking at other people and saying, man, I wish I could have a life like that. You know, a, a great way to feel bad about your life? Spend a lot of time on social media. There was a study written years back. It said, uh, it was regarding Facebook, and it said, Facebook makes people feel worse about themselves. That was the conclusion of the study. Why? Because it's, you know, you know, like, oh, my life is so much better than yours. My kids are better than yours. My body's better than yours. All these things that come up there. And it's like, hey, those are angles and filters we know. But you start getting jealous. You start getting envious. He says he, that he's arrogant. He's filled with pride. And now his vision of the outcome of a life of serving the Lord is completely blurred. It's like, I'm no longer interested continuing this journey because I'm looking over there and I'm seeing that you are blessing people who are not godly and they're not trying to live for you. Man, it's so easy for us to get to that spot. The question is, why should those who live opposed to God be better off than those who trust them, trust in him? You think about the questions that would run through our minds. Why do I struggle with anxiety? Why do I have, uh, you know, a child that has uh, a, a disorder or, you know, an, an ailment? Uh, why did I grow up without a parent? Why did I go through a divorce? Uh, why do I not get a promotion? Uh, why do I have a family member with cancer? And you look around and you go, there's people that you go, why are they seem to have it easy and your people, God, seem to struggle. I think that we've all kind of had those kinds of moments, right? The people will ask me questions because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to have all the answers. And uh, I'm realizing very quickly that I do not have all the answers. I did not take that course at Bible college. Here are all the answers to life's issues. Uh, there's a lot of times people say, um, I'm not exactly sure why God would, and then you just stop them and go, you know what, neither am I. I have no idea. There's no answer why this is happening or why that goes on. We may never get those answers, this side of heaven or on the other side. But that's what was going on in his heart. You know, many young people leave their faith in church because they, they, they lose sight of that long-term living for Jesus. It's the only game in town. It's the best life that you could ever live. But they begin to look around and they just go, man, why would I want to give up all of this that the world offers me for some of these difficulties of serving the Lord? Some of the things that he noticed, they're physically fit. They live healthy till their death. Again, it wasn't true. It's just the highlight reels that, uh, that Satan you know, allowed him to kind of see. They have no pain in their death. They're fat and sleek. Again, not a compliment in our day, but apparently it was a sign of blessing in, in that. We should start that, by the way, don't you think? 
Like when we're walking around like, hey, what's up, fat and sleek brother? How are you? You know, try that at work tomorrow. Like, boss, you look fat and sleek. You having a good life right now? Their eyes swell out. That was a sign of prosperity. But he says, but they're morally corrupt. They're evil. They wear pride-like jewelry, and they're clothed with violence. They are cruel men. I mean, they're not just living a life not serving Jesus. They're intentionally harming other people on their journey, stepping on other people. And you think, God, why would you allow that to continue to go on? In verse 8, we realize that they have no regard for people. And in verse 9, they have no regard for God. They say, how can he know? Does he really see? Who is he that I should live my life concerned about what God thinks? And in verse 10, we read that nobody questions them. They're not accountable for what they say and do. In fact, it seems like they get people to kind of go along with them. You're like, this doesn't make sense. Again, you could see why he was tripping up. They were physically fit. They were financially fit as well. They had a life of ease. And it just got, it just got him thinking, man, oh, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be great to just, like, have a yacht? You know what I mean? Just, like, you, you walk on that yacht and you go, sir, where do you want to go today? Yeah, let's go to Fiji. That's what I was thinking. Let's go get some water. It's the best water on earth. And, uh, and just have that kind of life and ease, you know what I mean? And you just go, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm not going to ask for an amen, but I think you and I all would say, like, yeah, it would be bad. What did you do after church? Oh, I went to my yacht to Fiji. And it seems like that more piles of money come in their bank account the entire trip over to Fiji. That's what it appears here. Now, you and I, sober-minded this morning, right? I'm assuming we're all sober-minded. It's 10, 1045. We should be good. Is that... We know that's not a life that you really want. We know that those that have that kind of a life of ease, they have their problems too. But sometimes you get intoxicated with envy and you just can't think straight. And your life gets in that myopic state of, I only see what's in front of me and I don't like what I see. That's a bad place to be as a Christian because your feet begin to slip up. A life of ease. Here's two other uh, symptoms. You develop a negative thinking. Asaph asked the question in verse 13 and 14. I'm questioning my life choices. I've been serving you, and what's the benefit that has come my way? Again, only looking at circumstances and becoming bitter. He has this internal struggle. God, you seem to prosper the wicked and punish the godly. In verse 15, he lets us know, like, I got to keep this to myself to keep others from stumbling in their faith, but man, he was wrestling. There's just some things in life that you just go, you know what, I'm not going to understand. And then verse 16 and 17, why would God, why would God allow this to go on? But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Have you ever been in that spot in your life where you just, you know better than to continue to, to uh, have that internal conversation? But why, Lord? Why would you? Why not this? How come? You know it's not healthy, but you stay in that, like just that random, just over and over and over again, and it just starts to build up in you. And you go, God, I just don't understand. It's an unhealthy place to be. Well, he gives us uh, this, this kind of cure for this in his life. He tells us, hey, I was all messed up, until I went in to the sanctuary of God. That is the first cure that we find. 
some of the things that Krunk talked about, right? Time in his word, time with the Christian community, time in prayer, time in worship. For him, it was the, the dwelling place of God. That was where they would go to physically meet with God, though we know that God is everywhere at all times. That was the place for an Israeli to go and to worship God. And that was the place where their lives got realigned with what is true, that foundational truth. In verse one, I know that God is good. And that is something, my friends, that when your life and my life gets into that spot where we just begin to question God, and, because that's exactly what Satan wants to do, is to stir up <clears throat> doubt in your mind and my mind about the goodness of God. And that's why those questions run around our heads. Why would you allow if you're so good? It wasn't until he went and got God's perspective on life that his whole demeanor changed. That is the priority of a Christian's life is to spend time with God. We'll learn in 1 John that the, the first reason for the proclamation of the gospel, that it was to save a soul, but the soul that is saved now has fellowship with God and God's people. If you want to stay out of that spot where you have that like, lack of perspective and your life gets consumed with all the, how come, and gee, God, I wish you would do this, and how come I don't have this, and all the negative thinking that goes on, all the bitterness that starts to rise up in our heart, all the envy that we allow to part there, if we're going to get free from it, you have to be a man or woman who daily says, I need to gain God's perspective. I need to meet with God. What does that look like in your life? It might mean that you carve out 10 minutes a day. I know that sounds like kind of chintzy, but uh, 10 minutes is better than the hour that you're not doing that you planned on January 1st. Can I get a witness? <laughs> like, like, you all have 10 minutes that you can start carving out with God. I promise you, that will be the single thing you can attach to, how come I feel better about my life in 30 days? It won't be because you won the lotto, or if you do, you need to let us know, but it will be because you go, oh, I know what I did. I started meeting with God and gaining his perspective on a daily basis, and everything still stinks in my life on paper. Do you know God does that in a person's life without changing or rearranging any circumstances? He, he doesn't say, I went into the sanctuary of God and God started giving out piles of money and cures for sickness. He said, I went into the sanctuary of God and I met with God. And he realized that it's like uh, the, the Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. One little kid was memorizing that for a Sunday school teacher once. And she says, mess it up. She didn't get the lollipop, but she said, the Lord is my shepherd, he's all that I want. When you get your life into that spot where that's it, like he's it. You get piles of money, you get piles of money taken. You, you find out good news, you find out bad news. You are centered, my friend, because you have found that it's in the presence of Almighty God that I have perspective. And that is a game changer. It was a game changer for him. When you get out of sync with the Lord, you start missing church, or you show up and you still miss out on the Lord speaking to you because you've got a billion things going through your mind in that moment carved out to worship him with God's people, to pray with other people, to open his word collectively together. 
man, it's easy to slip back into that mindset of just negative thinking or stinking thinking. But now there's this consciousness of the eternal. He reaffirms his, tr- his foundational truths that God has given to us to hang on to like an anchor in the storms of life. He gets encouraged to keep walking on the narrow path. And he gets clarity for his soul. His soul is refocused on eternal things through his time in God's presence. And that's what happens to us. And it just clicks. What am I thinking? What am I thinking? I need to snap out of this mindset because truly God is good. And the person that I am actually longing to have their life, they got a bunch of crud about to happen in their life. And instead of it making Asaph go like, oh man, break out the popcorn, let's watch this drama unfold. Don't ever get to that spot in your life you're like someone that you feel like, oh, they keep getting hooked up and then you hear something bad happens to them, you go kind of chuckle inside. You know what I mean? Like, no, that is not godly. God does not want you and I to feel better about our lives because somebody else's life is falling apart. That is a major check in our heart. Although, let's, not, let's be honest, sometimes it feels good, doesn't it? Someone told me once. He understands life now in light of eternity. Not this brief moment on earth. Our young people. Those of you that are in college, high school. Those of you that have young people at home. This is the thing that we pound into their lives like a stake so far on the ground that hell gets the point that serving Jesus Christ is the only life that makes sense. And when their hearts get a little tweaked out because of, gee, this person, look at them, and they're getting away with this, and boy, that looks like a ton of fun. Take them with crunk to the prisons of uh, of, uh, the Philippines and go like, look at how much fun they're having. You might not get locked up behind real prison bars, but that's exactly where their lives will head. And, And some of you and I have been set free from those prison bars, right? You're like, man, I would never want young people to go thinking, hey, I don't need to drink gutter water to know that it probably tastes pretty bad, right? Serving Jesus Christ, young people, man, make him your master passion. You will never look back on a life and say, gee, I wish I actually would have not served Jesus because, man, my life is not that good. We can look around and feel envious of others. We can feel cheated, but that road is leading to somewhere. And Asaph, he's reminded, a reward is coming to him and a reward is coming to the ungodly. That's why Jesus said, what would it profit a person if they gained the whole world and yet they forfeit their own soul? What's coming their way? Let's read together verse 18. Asaph says, truly you have set them in slippery places. They're the ones that are about to trip up. By the way, verse 18 through 22, if you've known uh, that famous sermon by John Owens, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is the passage that was his primary text teaching about like uh, you need to get right with God. He says, truly you set them in slippery places and you make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in my heart, he says, he confesses, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Husbands, that's a good apology to use, by the way, when you make your wife angry as well. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. 
Nevertheless, notice what he's able to see now in his life. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. That is kind of the conclusion to his journey of getting out and getting free of this, this nearsightedness and going like, my life stinks, their life is great. He goes into the sanctuary of God. That is the beginning of the cure for this spiritual uh, myopia. But guess what else is? Being grateful, having gratitude in your heart. He says, I see clearly now that it's gonna end up bad for them. And instead of making him feel excited, he was moved to pity for them. It's a game changer having an eternal perspective. It's like you look at where you're headed, you look at eternity, and then you sort of reverse engineer your life and saying, what am I going to want my life to feel like when I step on that side of eternity? Is it gonna, are you going to look back and go, man, I wish I had more, more money. I wish I would have you know, done more cool things. I wanna, oh, Lord, oh, I just wish I had time to bungee jump right now. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be over eternal things that you and I are going to look back with regret. I wish I would have shared Jesus more. I wish I wouldn't have been so afraid to invite that person to my church. I wish I would have spent more time praying for my loved ones and friends and seeing God move in their, in their lives in powerful ways. I wish I would have been a part of something bigger than just my little white picket fence yard and, and, and having a safe life until I die. I'm going to imagine that those are the kinds of thoughts that will go through your and I head if we have the the, I don't know if it's a privilege, <laughs> the privilege of actually knowing we're about to step into eternity. I kind of like just to go when I'm sleeping at night, right? That's kind of creepy that we're talking about that. And you go like, how did Gordon go? Like 20 years down the road. Actually, no, let's go about like 40 years down the road. <laughs> we got some stuff to do. Moses had this kind of wake up moment. He says in Hebrews 11, it tells us, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it would be better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. When you get to those moments, you gotta look ahead and go, God, this is difficult, this is, but it's a small window of my life, a small time period of my life. Paul said this to the church in Corinth. He said, I, I, it's, it's not even fair to think about this, the, the, the short time I'm suffering with the long time of rejoicing in eternity that we're going through. You can't compare it. A little bit of suffering in life compared to forever and ever and ever where there's no sin, there's no tears, there's no devil, there's no struggles, and it's all God and all of God's good stuff for eternity. You think about that. Moses had that moment. I would rather suffer with God's people than to have the piles of money and the ease of life being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. And not just when your life is over, but because he was so fixed on all the good things the ungodly got, he forgot the blessings that God poured in his life. 
Tam and I used to have a, a college student back in the day when we were college pastors. It always bugged me when she'd say this, but you would say, hey, God bless you, you know. Not when she sneezed, but just sort of like, hey, we're all leaving now. God bless you guys. She's like, oh, he has. She didn't do the finger thing. I've added that in the years. <laughs> that was weird how that happened, right? She's like, oh, he has. Just pray that I see it. And I was like going, okay, that's annoying. I'm getting really sick of that. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? God has blessed her. God has blessed me. My problem is, is that I'm not willing to open my eyes. But when he goes into the sanctuary of God, he gets God's perspective, the first cure to spiritual myopia. The second one is gratitude. He starts saying all the things that God's been doing all along in his life. That moment that you start complaining and saying, oh, this is going on and that is going on. Take out a piece of paper and for everything that you said and spewed out of your mouth that was negative, write twice as many things that are positive in your life. Because I promise you, God is blessing you, has blessed you. You just need to open your eyes, and so do I. He reads, it tells us in verse 23 to 28, all the present and eternal blessings that are his, that are ours. Spiritual possessions that far outweigh any material ones, because they're just temporary. The hope that we have in Christ today. We just park there for a dozen weeks and go, guys, let me encourage you. The hope you have because of Jesus Christ. The hope of heaven, the assurance of salvation, to know that God has taken care of your eternity already for you because you've put your simple faith in Jesus. You know, Paul said that you and I can go to God at any time and say, um, and, and cast all of our cares upon him, right? We could be anxious for nothing but, and pray about everything he said, but then he adds with thanksgiving. Why? Because we're so prone to forget the blessings that God has given our lives so we don't lose sight of the goodness and faithfulness of God. God, you are good, he would say. God, I'm a wealthy man. Now I see it. He notices that God is with them. The presence of God in his life. Fellowship with God that is ours through Jesus Christ. David says in Psalm 16, in your presence there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you hold me with your right hand. Think about that. Friendship with Almighty God. He is Lord of all creation. He is Abba Father. He's adopted us into his family. But he is that friend that sticks closer than a brother in your life. To think that you can walk hand in hand with God. He says that God guides me through life. What a blessing it is that God guides you with his counsel. He guides you through his word. You pray about something, he gives you peace, and he gives you that guidance and that direction. He gives us wisdom, how to navigate this trial that you might be facing, how to navigate marriage or, or a future marriage, how to navigate raising kids and parenting your children. And then he says, the blessing of eternity, and God's going to welcome me into his kingdom. When it's all done, he's going to receive me into his kingdom. Now I remember, he says, why I ran to the Lord in the first place, because God is good. And he just sort of lost sight of it. Let me ask you, are, have you lost sight I, do you have that, that funk in your life right now? You have some of those symptoms, or maybe all, or maybe there's a billion symptoms that kind of uh, uh, show up in our lives when we just sort of lose sight of eternal things. This morning, get in God's presence. Get his perspective. Get in his word. Are you in that funk? Gain heaven's perspective in this life. Be grateful to him for his goodness to you. Even this day, count up the blessings that God has blessed you with in the last 12 months. 
He says, it is good for me to draw near to the Lord and put my trust in you. I want to encourage you, Christians, this week, make knowing Jesus practically time in his word. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles outside our Connection Center that we give away because we want you to have a, a, your own personal copy of God's word. Make knowing him your master passion this week. Get in his word. If you feel like you, you got a lot going on, you can't make a small group, create some space in your life so that you can be a part of other Christians' lives, spending time praying together in his word. Carve out time to talk with the Lord. It might be your lunch hour. That might be your best time. It might be you go out, on, on, you go out to the park and you take a walk. It might be that you lock yourself in your bathroom because you got a dozen kids that are saying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. Like, she's not here today. Right? You say, God, knowing you has got to be my high priority. That's what it means to get that eternal perspective. Okay, you get with the Lord. And maybe this, this morning you realize that you're in a slippery spot. You realize, like, we talk about knowing Jesus personally and having assurance that we're saved. Maybe this morning you're here this morning and you don't, you don't know if you were to die today, that you'd spend eternity with God. If you're adding up things like, well, I've tried to be a good person, that's the wrong answer. None of us can ever be good enough to cancel out our debt of sin that we owe to God. If you think that, well, I'll start going to church. Church doesn't save us. Church is where God's people come to meet. This is where we hear about his word. A true saving relationship is when a person comes to that place in their life where they realize that they've sinned against God that, and there's no remedy that they can offer themselves. And that they realize that Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly for you and for me because he wants to offer you and I eternal life. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, speaking of Jesus, who never sinned to be the sin offering for the world so that we might become the righteousness of God. Translation is God exchanged all of your sin for all of Jesus' righteousness at the cross. And how you get it is by receiving Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You know, every service we give people an opportunity, and every month it seems like somebody's coming to Jesus and turning their heart to him. We'd love to give you that moment this morning where you're ready right where you're sitting to tell God you want him in your life. You want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with God today that isn't religious. It's a loving relationship that you have with him because you committed your life to him. Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for a passage like this today that uh, it tells our story, Lord. Centuries ago, this was written, and yet it tells such a true story of the human race that, God, we are so prone to look over and see others' lives that look so easy, and yet, God, we forget how blessed we are. Lord, you're with us. You guide us. You're going to receive us into our eternal home. Lord, I pray for my friends today that you would encourage each and every one of them. Inspire us all, Lord, to lay aside the things of this world and this life, the temporary things that really don't matter, so that we might develop eternal things like prayer, time in your word, hanging with other Christian people. Lord, help us all, God, to make you our master passion this week, to know you, Lord, to know your presence. And Lord, I pray for those who don't know you this morning. God, there might be one, there might be a dozen in this room today that they don't have a relationship with you yet. And yet this morning, you're knocking on the door of their heart. And God, I pray that right now, Jesus, that they would take that step of faith. They would forget all the fears of what if and 
Who's going to know? And, and God, what will my friends think? What will my spouse think? And Lord, today they would cross that line and begin a relationship with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you right now where you're sitting to lift your hand up. Hold it high in place if today you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. You want your sins forgiven. You want to begin a relationship with him today by faith. I'm looking around this room right now, and if that's you, I want you to just take a bold step, and I want you to lift your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Man, he loves you. God bless you. Anybody else? Man, he loves each and every one of you. Today's the day you're ready to take a step. Anybody else in this closing moment? You're ready to take that step. Listen, for those of you that want to pray and receive Jesus, I'm going to pray a simple prayer up here. And prayer is just simply talking to God. If that's you, right where you're at, you pray. You ask Jesus to do the things that you want him to do in your life. You pray after me now. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, today I want to admit to you that I'm a sinner. And today I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins, and I believe that you rose from the dead. Lord, today I choose to trust in you. God, today I choose to follow you as my Lord and my Savior. Guide my life and help me to do your will from this day forward. Thank you for your love, Jesus. I ask this now in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'm gonna, I just want to welcome those who just prayed that <laughs> prayer. What an awesome thing, man. I, I'm gonna, right now I'm going to encourage you to stand. We're going to close in a, time, a song of worship. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. If this morning you prayed and you asked Jesus into your life, on both sides of this room, there are some of my friends, there are our prayer team, and they'd love to give you a, a, a something that will help you grow in your walk with Jesus. Uh, go over there. Maybe you came with someone this morning and just tell them, hey, today I just prayed. Can you lead me over there? And if you need prayer this morning, our team is available to, to pray with you and for you uh, during this last song and also after the service is over. Let's sing and worship.